Hello, and welcome to our financial services podcast series, Don't Break the Bank, Run It and Change It. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and together with my co-host, Brian Hayes, we've both worked for over 30 years in banking and banking IT. This is a podcast for curious minds in the financial services industry. The purpose of our podcast is to explore some topics and questions which we didn't even know were questions when we were working on the other side. Today, we're going to talk about sustainability, and we're delighted to have Nicola Acut from the Office of the CTO from Palo Alto, California, joining us. Nicola, could you tell us more about yourself, please? Sure. Hello, everybody. Uh, nice to be with you today. Uh, as Matthew said, my name is Nicola Aker, and I'm Head of Sustainability at VMware uh, in the Office of the CTO. I have been in this field for going on 17 years after finishing my PhD in the UK in sustainability, and uh, I am looking forward to this conversation. So I think this is really topical for us. Obviously, we, we cover on, on this podcast, we cover a lot between run the bank versus change the bank. And I think historically, sustainability is just kind of being parked in with the run things. Let's do some things cheaper. Let's save some paper. So let's say let's print less. Let's switch some PCs off. So let's save some power. With with the way that the, the kind of this ESG framework seem to be being rolled out across banks, it sounds like this has grown up now into into something that banks need to spend a bit more time being sensible and serious about. Um, what's your what's your take on on where the journey's got us to now? That kind of that sustainability evolution and that the kind of the ESG thing. Absolutely, and you're right. It has been quite a journey. Uh, you know, we have in, in my professional experience in this field have observed that transition from you know sustainability being about you know doing less bad risk management, reputation management. Uh, really through this evolution to what I call kind of CSR being about responsibilities, you know, doing the right thing, being compliant, um, all the way through being you know, proactive, trying to manage things proactively. You had, you know, the explosion of green buildings as a key focus for, for a period of time. Uh, you know, as you said, there were initiatives across the enterprise, whether it was in IT and you know, printing less or in, uh, you know, um, real estate and waste management around recycling your old equipment to today we are really at a turning point uh, and that that has has accelerated over the last couple of years and you know the term ESG now embraces what I call a more strategic alignment or strategic uh, understanding of the business value of sustainability and you know to sum that up i think there's been this shift from a recognition that sustainability can drive value from a you know brand perspective a brand value and positioning to actually creating value for the for the business and so let me um answer your question about esg so for folks who are not familiar with that term it it really is becoming quite quickly the catch-all phrase to to explain sustainability in the business context in a holistic way so inclusive of environmental responsibility social and governance so the e is for you know 
environment, S is for social impact, and, and G is really about how you govern uh, your company. Shame on me for using an acronym, and maybe um, we ought to have an acronym fine. Maybe that's the evolution of our little competition there, Brian. This, this field is full of alphabet soup, so we could have fun with the, the alphabet soup in sustainability. It sounds like it's going to be a costly episode. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, you know, one of the areas that I think um, historically had a lot of, uh, of interest, particularly around environment, and, and I think and I think perhaps social too, but but certainly environment was the the case for travel less, video conference more, and and I think one of the the issues used to be the behavioural change or how how you actually get people to endure with that. What's your take on that? Do you, do you think we've now reached the point we've tipped and video conferencing is going to be the primary? way to meet or, or do you think you know that that's all going to spring back what's your take from somebody that's very close to that sure and i think it's fascinating look i mean we are we are still in unprecedented times uh you know the the impacts of the pandemic uh, will be felt for a long time and there is a big question of what is the new normal i think there's a recognition that things won't ever quite be the same but what that is, is yet to be determined. And I think the decisions that companies make now are going to shape what that ultimately looks like. Uh, I am an optimist by, by nature. So I think actually in some way, this forced experiment, this sort of forced human experiment is, show, is, is showing us some new things. And, you know, I think one of them is this recognition that actually technology can enable business to thrive in in this distributed format you know i think in the past um you know you talked about behavioral issues and video conferencing was you know was a big promise what in the 90s um and that never really happened because you know humans we don't like change and we're social creatures right we want we we like to see each other so nothing will ever replace that but i think what we've seen now is the technology has has shifted and made it much more accessible and today we're on zoom every day and the whole dynamic is very different and so i think technology the combination of the technology is ready or it was it, it's it's it and because of the pandemic businesses had to make decisions very quickly and shift overnight. I mean, you saw the case in VMware, right? Literally over a weekend, we shifted our entire workforce to be distributed. And we've proved out that we can maintain business continuity. We can, and that is a resilience um, uh, issue. And we can talk about resilience later, but my take on it is that I do think that distributed workforces are the future. And I do think that the technology that supports that is here to stay and it's going to get better. We will always have some kind of hybrid. I don't see a future where we're completely virtual, but I definitely think the balance is going to change. I think companies are going to make look really um, much more carefully at business travel and um, you know the the return on investment um, for for travel and I think that our workplaces are going to look very different too and you know there's a sustainability aspect to all of that as well from an e and the ESG 
um, but also in the S. You know, there is the potential, if we do it right, uh, for distributed work to be much more accessible, um, to, you know, to be able to attract more diverse talent from different parts of the, of the world or different communities, where you don't necessarily have, in, you know, in our case, to have to be in Palo Alto. Um, so I think the pandemic is very much um, with us still, and there is a, a long way to go to get to the other side of this. But I do think that there are some lessons that are very relevant to this topic today. I kind of liken this to there was a time when you worked in a call centre where call quality was the most important thing. And then mobile phone technology kind of came along and, and there became an acceptance that the call quality was less important as long as you could still you know, identify the customer and deliver the service. And I think we all invested significantly in very high-end video conferencing rooms. The thing that I think that the pandemic is doing for us is giving us an acceptance that webcam video technology is acceptable in the same way mobile phone is for voice. And our executives have said that you know, the big advantage has been that they've been able to participate in calls where they can go across every continent in a day, which they couldn't possibly have done when they were flying between visits. So that additional level of capability or connectivity, I think is really one of the big plus points that's kind of proving out with this technology. Do you think that that holds and that's going to continue that way? And, and you alluded to us all working from home, but what about doing conferences virtually and, and that whole thing where previously thousands of people were traveling to one place? What's your take on that too? What I have observed in the last three months or so during the pandemic, an interesting phenomenon where, and I'll give you a great example right from VMware, where going to a conference is often seen as a perk, something that we do both for professional development, for networking, all of those reasons. But because of the travel limitations, many of those have pivoted quickly to offer virtual or, or an online experience. And something's interesting in that in several cases, the conference organizers have decided to open it up to a larger number of people because you don't have the physical limitations of the venue. That's been a phenomenal success. So the example that came to mind is this conference VMware hosts called Women Transforming Technology, which is intended to be a gathering meeting place for peers in technology and to network and to, to learn together. And we hosted it at VMware on our campus. But we have very limited capacity. So it was limited to, I think, four or 500 people the last couple of years that we've done this. And this year, because of COVID-19, we did it online. And there was upward of, I think, 1,600 people participated in the event. And it was phenomenal. And speaking to some of those participants, they were able to network, to meet people that they wouldn't have had access to before. And that has proven out to be really valuable. I think we all agree there's nothing quite like face-to-face, -face, but this is, again, op opening new possibilities, new, new options that, that weren't there before. We just didn't think about them that way, or it was somehow seen as less than to do a virtual conference than to do it in person. And I don't think all of those assumptions actually hold in our experience. So a long way of answering your question, Matthew, I think, I think yes, I think it will be different and we'll see much more of this hybrid sort of fluidity than we've had in the past. Absolutely. There's a couple of questions, Nicola, I guess, um, that I'd 
I'd like to get to grips with. And the first actually is to go backwards a little bit with your experience around our own journey as VMware um, and some of the challenges that you've experienced with, with us as, a, as an organization. I'm sure people listening to are experiencing with, with their own organization. So if you, could, um, if you could talk about our journey and where we've got to now, and also how you feel that positions us going forward as VMware in, in this area. Yeah, you know, I think VMware's story and, and journey in sustainability is is quite an interesting one. And I think it it highlights those pivot points that I think many companies either have experienced or will experience as this, again, bubbles up to the top of the corporate agenda. So starting at the beginning, one thing I will say about VMware, and maybe to folks who know the company know our values, it, it's no surprise, but there was what I call a sustainability ethos at VMware from the very beginning. You know, you look at our founders and what they valued, you know, the decision they made to build a sustainable campus you know, way back when in Palo Alto, right, they transformed this this uh, space, in where, which is now our headquarters, and built really a leading green building for the company. And, and folks who have visited uh, may fondly, re, you know, recall the story of the Turtle Pond and the beautiful architecture that's built to the highest environmental standards. You know, for a long time, it was part of the ethos, the culture. And of course, everyone knew back then, right, when virtualization was our core business, that there was this environmental benefit. But it was one of those things that we all just took for granted because, well, of course, you know, and um, and as a result, we went through a period of rapid growth without any focus on goals or strategy. So, you know, for the first 10 years or so, we did a lot of the right things, put in place recycling programs and all of that, you know, all of those good things in the cafeteria, built this beautiful environment, um, invested in uh, making sure that we didn't, as we grew the business, as we grew the, the the real estate, we took care of the trees. There's this great story, actually. You have to, you know, folks who, who are familiar with V-Motion, right? When we were co doing construction, we didn't want to cut down any of or lose any of our beautiful redwoods. So there was this huge project to number one, build the buildings around the redwoods where we could and where we had to take out a redwood, we would V-motion it over to another place uh, on the campus. But, you know, Brian, to your point, that was all doing the right thing. The world has changed a lot and there's increasing expectation to be transparent, A, about what you're doing and set meaningful goals. And through our journey, that became obvious that it wasn't enough to just do the right thing. We actually had to get systems in place. So we did that. And, you know, I was part of the team that led that initial process to put in place an environmental management system, put in place data systems so you can actually get data on your performance and, and set goals. And the big pivot, however, in, and this is the strategy work that I led about five years ago, was to look at sustainability, not just through the lens of performance and compliance and managing our resources, but actually looking at what can we do to have a greater impact and how can we tie what we do as a business to driving sustainable outcomes. And that was this aha moment when 
you know, I talked about the obvious, which everyone intuitively understood about VMware simply by, you know, through virtualization, simply reducing the energy required for us for compute, right? But to be honest, we'd actually never captured that data. We'd never actually uh, created a system to to figure out what that what that is, and so we did that. And through that process, and um, I can I can share with you, you know, some of the reports on it. But through that process, realized that we can actually have a greater impact by focusing sustainability on our products and and what we can do for our customers. And hence, why my team now reports into the office of the CTO. So, you know, I share that because even in banking, right? I think there's there's been this transition from again sustainable sustainable responsibility or corporate responsibility being about green buildings and your data center and things that you do to run a business in a responsible way to actually now the pivot is thinking about well what are the what are the the solutions we can offer our customers from a sustainability lens so there's there's a whole space really i think on the verge of new market opportunities for sustainable investments for a whole category of of opportunities to serve your customers in a new way with that lens of sustainability or ESG. I'm I'm probably old enough and been around long enough with a lot of people when most responses in terms of bids or when we were pushing stuff out for for responses from vendors in reality that that um, environmental impact that recycling process on social responsibility through being environmentally correct was, and I'm going to be blunt, was probably a couple of tick boxes on paragraph seven, subsection 14, that you know you probably automatically ticked because you assumed that your organization did it. So that's the pay to play type view. You had to tick that box. What I perceive now, and I'd like your view on it, is how an organization, any organization's social responsibility around sustainability and being environmentally you know, proactive drives a, a better successful outcome rather than being just something you have to do. Absolutely. And I think that's that's exactly right the, the, in terms of this pivot that's happened. And, you know, moving from a compliance tick the box to a more strategic lens on sustainability. So a couple of things. One, that, that still continues to be important in terms of supply chain responsibilities. But what's different now is the expectation of transparency and those sort of tick the box exercises being being audited, number one. Number two, you know, when you when you actually start to look at the boundaries of responsibility, there's been a shift now and a greater expectation to take responsibility for your full impact. So in my world, we talk about, and and this is specifically around energy and carbon, for example, about the scope of impact. So there's, you know, scope one, two, and three, scope one being your direct emissions, scope two being your indirect emissions, and scope three being your downstream emissions. So for a long time, what you were talking about, Brian, was companies trying to manage their scope one, right? What's directly you're, you know, attributable to your company, whether, you know, you're a manufacturing or a bank, like, um, and in, you know, the manufacturing case, it's, it's more obvious because, you know, you're spewing SO2 into the atmosphere, whereas in a bank, right, you're 
running you know your facilities and your data center primarily as as an, an area of impact and so that is scope two right the purchased electricity the the the, the power that you need to support those facilities and of course all the green building and things like that um that's kind of obvious but what's less obvious is this what scope three the downstream and that is your supply chain and you know as my as our profession as sustainability is, has become more and more sophisticated we've created more frameworks and tools and methodologies to to measure those impacts across all three of of those do, domains of impact and what you find is actually when companies do this full analysis often they're shocked to discover that their biggest impact is in scope three that downstream which includes things like your purchase goods and services your employee commute your uh, business travel things like your colos your you know those kinds of assets that are completely critical to your business but they're downstream right and so the question of boundaries of responsibility then comes up but here's the thing brian what's happening is companies are no longer just expecting you to tick the box in an RFP, but actually to have that responsibility within your own supply chain. So I'll give you an example. At VMware, we recently had, um, as part of a customer engagement, part of an RFP, a company request that not only VMware commit to being carbon neutral and have the data to, to show it and, and verify it, but that we commit to our supply chain being carbon neutral and setting a science-based target by 2030. So that's huge when you think about, you know, that long chain of, of your suppliers, that's, that's a really a big nut to crack. Um, but I share that with you because it's, it has definitely shifted from this compliance exercise to now actually an engagement exercise and a, a collaboration, you know, when you, in order to support your suppliers in moving to this new new world it does and as i find matthew on many of these calls i become far better educated as a result of listening to people because i'd never ever considered the the one two three and it's a, which is a very practical way of looking at it and i'd never considered three to be employees commute and that, that was a light bulb coaching moment for me there and then because it's, it's not something I would have ever considered. It was, no, I didn't even consider it. Absolutely. And so this ties back to our, our conversation a few minutes ago about distributed work and why there's a sustainability piece to this that's important. Because if we look at the data and, you know, my team is it just, just for, for this short period of the pandemic, right? I mean, it's kind of obvious and, you know, the data show, proves it. But that's radically reduced our scope three carbon impact for VMware, right? Because no one's driving to and from work. So, you know, think about that. Think about if you're using your real estate differently, your embedded carbon footprint for each square foot of real estate changes as well. So I think the this this you're right. This is this is this this shifting perspective and you know in the past where leadership was take care of your own house you know the scope one leadership in sustainability and esg is now inclusive of scope one two and three the thing you got me thinking about there was companies have talked about being zero carbon 
and I think some of the ways that that's been achieved is through carbon credits rather than actually taking action. Do you have a view there around the carbon credit versus doing something? I think the important part in, in sort of understanding the space is in actually understanding that full scope that I talked about a second ago, the scope one, scope two, scope three, because getting to zero requires an understanding of that, you know, that holistic uh, view. Um, this is where there's been a lot of criticism, both on the tools as well, but also on what, what are you talking about when you say a company is carbon neutral? Are you carbon neutral for scope one or scope two or scope three or all three, right? And there are different kinds of instruments that address these different emissions, types of emissions. So, you know, you think about, you know, you think about, you have to think about the whole. And so at VMware, I talk about a strategy as a system and kind of like an investment portfolio, you've got to diversify your portfolio, right? So for us, the the key is, is about matching your actions with your strategy. So with that lens, right, the first thing you do is radical efficiency, right? Look for all those opportunities. And there's plenty business cases been written through the 90s and early 200s about efficiency right and the the roi on whether it's you know improving you know upgrading your servers or upgrading your boiler in your you know in your heating system or changing out the hvac right number one is investing so those are actions right invest in simply using less right using less energy number one Number two is about the source of your energy, right? So thinking about, you know, how do you use more clean energy? And there, the strategies, you know, for us, as we think about it is, number one is you invest wherever possible in on-site renewables. So in other words, putting solar on your facilities or, you know, for example, at what we're doing at VMware, we're building a community microgrid on our campus in Palo Alto. And that's part of our strategy because it's not only about putting on new renewables in our community and in our, on our campus, but combining that with storage so that we can be more efficient in our use of energy. So that's step two. Step three is when you can't, for whatever reason, if you are you don't own the building or you don't own the land, can you procure clean energy? And more and more, and especially in Europe, right, there is there are more options to procure clean power, whether it's through green, you know, the, the green tariffs at your utility or doing power purchase agreements, um, aggregating renewable energy. It's really all about how do you create a portfolio of sourcing green power in the first place to run your enterprises. So that's I say kind of the, the tip of the spear. When you do all of that, then and only then, then you look at now the rest of your footprint and the instruments that you can use to get to zero. And, and that's where carbon offsets come into play. And the way I talk about it is not all carbon offsets are created equal. It's like any product, right? There are cheap products, not so good. And there are, you know, more expensive or what I call, um, uh, you know, products that have co-benefits or they have another value proposition in addition to just the carbon reduction. So, you know, in our world, then we take we take then the, the footprint and we look at um, the, the balance 
um, of what we and what we can do about it. And it's an evolving strategy, right? So, for example, in employee commute, right? Right now, um, you know, we are purchasing um, offsets to to negate our impact from air travel and employee commuting. And so when we go into the market to buy carbon offsets, we have certain criteria. And again, that's really important in the strategy because you can just buy, you know, what I call a transactional offset, which is just, you know, it's a transaction like, you know, your ATM transaction, right? Um, Whereas you can invest, and, and this is where carbon finance comes in, you can invest in projects that not only are sequestering carbon from the atmosphere in a meaningful reported quality way that's documented um, and verified, but then they're also investing in the community. So long story short here is that they do have a role and the way that I often talk about carbon credits is a bridging strategy. You know, we don't have any other instrument to address some of our carbon in our, in our, in our system, right? So we use these strategically as a bridge to a better future where there are, are better solutions. Nicola, one of the top topics at the moment, obviously, is resilience. And, and people are trying to understand the significance of sustainability on, on resilience. And it's something that we spoke about before we came on air, that you spoke about very eloquently. And I, I'd just like you to, to give us your view on the relationship between two areas that people wouldn't normally associate together. Absolutely. You know, and it's something that we've been talking about for a while at VMware. In fact, our CEO, Pat Gelsinger, is quite fond of, of saying that resilience is sustainability's twin. And I think that's a pretty big idea and an important one. And again, the pandemic that we are experiencing has proven that out in very stark terms. You know, the ultimate, when you think about the concept of sustainability at its essence, it is the capacity to continue to thrive. And, you know, you can think about that in an ecological sense, you know, as a system that's sustainable because that can can endure shock to the system and it can bounce back. But there's also this idea of sustainable organizations and sustainable communities. And again, this, this, the same, this concept from ecology applies as much to ecological systems and human systems in that this ability to endure over time, right? To take shock to the system and to to respond and and to continue. And I think that's what we're seeing with with the pandemic, right? The impact um, uh, and this collision of impacts to the human health system, which has an impact on the economic system, and it's all tied to a broader ecological system, right? And the ability to to be resilient through that shock to the system is critical. And we've seen that in, you know, in operational terms from a business perspective, right? Re the resilience um, to, to manage through this, to shift your operations, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I think it's becoming more important, whereas I think in the past it was, you know, resilience was really only thought of, at least in the business context, in maybe 
either an extreme risk or extreme weather event, um, which you know historically we have again with that lens from an ERM perspective thought of as as outliers. What we're what we're now experiencing and realizing with this collision of of forces is that no matter what your political view is on climate change, and unfortunately it's highly politicized in some parts of the world, it doesn't matter what business you're in, it doesn't matter what part of the world you're in, we live on one system and the climate is in the process of changing. And we are beyond that point of of stopping the 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 train as i said before and so now it is all about how do how do we adapt and how do we build resilience into all of our systems so our ecological systems our human systems our economic systems our social systems and you know that that's the challenge that is the challenge of our times to adapt to to climate um and you know i think the 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 financial services industry is ahead in this respect there's you know there's there's been a lot of thinking in fact there you know the the task force on climate related disclosures the tcfd something again adding to your alphabet soup here that that folks should be be aware of because this is this is now been adopted and and driven by the by the by the financial industry and and frankly what that is all about is about risk mitigation um because the you know the recognition in in financial services that this thing's happening. Climate is is on us. Climate change is on us, and the the the, the risk to business, whether it's from stranded assets or, or or impact from extreme weather events that aren't so infrequent anymore, is real, and they have real financial impacts. Um, so, you know, I think it's it's going to be a word that we hear more and more often associated with sustainability and ESG is what's your resilience strategy. Uh, and that's critical to being sustainable. What, what's, what's evident is the relationship between these very broad systems that people would have not understood or perhaps not linked together previously. And, and what's clear from our conversation is that there is a great deal of connectivity between many, many systems that we've, we've talked about today. And, it, and it's not the old language and the old mentality perhaps that existed as, as thoughts and knowledge evolved around simple recycling, simple turn more lights off, simple print on what, you know, double-sided print, black and white only, don't print color, all the things that many organizations sort of quite rightly strove to do, but it's much, much broader for that. What's the next wave? What, what, what would you think that the prediction is for the next 24 months, what's what's the innovation that's really going to push and forge ahead in a broad term for you in this space? I'm not a betting person, so I'm not going to bet on one single single technology. But I think what is ahead really is this recognition that sustainability is innovation's next frontier in whatever industry you're in. So putting that lens onto what you do as a business and looking at it from not just a risk mitigation but also a an opportunity perspective is what's is is i think that's the that is going to be a competitive advantage 
you know, look, I, I've been fascinated and fascinated to watch over, you know, the last couple of months as things have, have unfolded. Um, you know, a lot of people were questioning, well, are sustainability initiatives going to get cut with, you know, the economic impacts of COVID? And it's turning out that a lot of them are being, are, are, are being, are being maintained, but the data is showing us from an ESG perspective that companies that are well run from an ESG perspective are enduring the crisis better. Um, we are seeing that um, there's a great article uh, that came out of C CNBC just recently around, uh, yeah, I think it was last week, that, you know, looking at, at uh, actually ESG accelerating as a result of, of the pandemic. And that's because these assets are seen as more secure, right? And as as more resilient and all the things that we've been talking about. So, you know, I think we've seen in the last couple of years, you know, a 35% increase in ESG investment assets, you know, and they grew, grew growing from 2016 to today over, I think, $38 trillion. So this this phenomenon is accelerating. So I think I would answer your question in those two ways. I think there is both the innovation perspective and companies starting to look at, you know, opportunity as well as risk management and the growing recognition and, and, and shift of capital into more sustainable investments long-term and kind of recognizing that there, the importance of um, resilience and, and all of those things over the long term. So that would be, if I had a crystal ball, that would be what I'd say. And I think we'll see more and more companies coming out with innovative ideas around the full scope of ESG. In addition to, we'll see more capital flows into this category of, of business. So a few times, Brian and I have both talked about our experiences working in banks and, and such, where we've been asked to save paper or only print when necessary or turn off lights and turn off our PCs or whatever it might be you know are you saying that those aren't really important and is there something different we should be doing or, or actually what's your your advice to us for what we can do differently now based on your experiences that, that can actually have an impact absolutely Matthew you know I I'm, I'm a huge proponent of individual action. And, and I do fundamentally believe in this notion of agency, right? That as people, we have agency, right? We have choice. There are things we can do. And it is important to not forget that every small action matters and small actions collectively add up to big impact. So I don't want to say, and, I, and, and forgive me if I came across that way, but I don't want to say that, you know, printing double-sided and recycling your yogurt cups and, you know, planting a herb garden, those things are important. And they're really important at the individual level. And when you think about a systems level, you know, thinking about hundreds and thousands of people of taking, taking those small actions every day is the amplifying effect. So that continues to be important. So long way of saying, don't stop recycling your yogurt cups, Matthew, please. <laughs> I did the right thing buying an electric vehicle. I think that's, I'm feeling good, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that's absolutely right. 
you both reside within the office of the CTO within VMware. My observation is that the office of the CTO is really there as the catalyst to drive innovation within our, our own organization and our products and our capabilities to go to market. So the question I have is, you know, how does sustainability sit as part of that agenda? Sure. And I, I mean, I think it's, it's an interesting observation that I don't know any other of my, any peers of mine that lead sustainability from the office of the CTO. So maybe some people scratching their heads and go, that's weird. Uh, and, but it's intentional and it ties exactly to the vision that, you know, our CTO um, and, and our CEO have for, for VMware and, you know, specifically with respect to the office of the CTO, much of our purpose is to look over the horizon, right? To, to be that sort of antagonistic group within VMware that looks at what's out there beyond our, you know, our current roadmap. And, you know, fundamentally, we have the perspective that sustainability is one of those horizon issues and that in time, our customers, the CIOs and, and, and CTOs and, um, you know, uh, will have to look at sustainability of their infrastructure through this lens. And so we're, we've made that investment you know, we're, we're putting strategy behind that, you know, of course, my team still does all of the, the traditional things that a sustainability team does, but um, we're focused in addition and going beyond that. So maybe you are asking, okay, well, what does that actually mean? I'll just summarize it this way. The, so there's two sides of this innovation lens that we, we are looking at from a product perspective. One is radical efficiency and this idea that we become more intentional about sustainability and product development. And I mean, in some ways you could actually say that VMware has created one of the biggest, you know, positive externalities in IT from an energy perspective, right? Because of um, the massive efficiencies you gain from server virtualization. The thing is that wasn't intentional, right? That wasn't what we intended to do, but it became a value a value add and, and now we're building on that. So building in that intentionality around radical efficiency, like we do with, with quality and security, number one. Number two is then looking at, again, over the horizon, um, it's, it's, it's about both making sure your infrastructure, your IT infrastructure is optimized, it is efficient and it's, um, and it's resilient. But also then, how do we make, how do we how do we leverage our role in the IT ecosystem to bring to bear a future where we're running our clouds and our infrastructure on renewably powered or zero carbon clouds? So those are the two lenses of the you know when we think about innovation, those are the two big ideas for us is you know, radical efficiency of uh, digital transformation from an, you know, a, an infrastructure perspective. And secondly, a future of zero carbon clouds all being renewably powered. To add to that, the, within the office of the CTO, we have a lot of conversations with our customers that aren't really sales oriented. There, there are a lot about what, what are the other problems your business is facing? What are the longer term things that are going? Where are areas that we could either advise that maybe nothing to do with our product portfolio, but through our experiences of working with lots of other customers, 
but also where are areas we might want to look to co-innovate. And and obviously we, we continue to look for, for areas where we can be a force for good. And if we can bring some of our uh, some of our people, some of our technology, some of our ideas, and maybe just some of our energy, I mean people energy, but I guess micro good energy as well but anyway if we can bring if we can bring more along to those conversations then you know everybody can benefit absolutely and i think that speaks to this broader mission and the role that we play in the office of the cto and i think a great example of that is you mentioned the microgrid this project on our campus which is a co-innovation and collaboration project we are working with the city of palo alto um, we're working with Stanford University, but we're also experimenting with startups and we have, you know, a collaboration hub to look at this crazy idea of microgrids and compute at the edge, right? And can we do some interesting things and co-innovate in a whole new space? So I think that's definitely part of it and being part of those unusual conversations with customers and sharing our experience. Um, hey, look, we don't have it figured out, we, but we've done a lot and we've learned a lot. And, and I think that's part of the, the journey here is to share experiences, share knowledge with this vision of really transforming technology overall as to be a force for good. Nicola, uh, on behalf of everyone listening, uh, you know, thank you for your time today. I'm enlightened by what we've discussed today. It's made me think, and it will make me think a lot more broadly around the role of sustainability in, in corporate life. Oh, my pleasure. Happy to be here today with you all. And I hope that uh, folks listening in are able to find it one thing interesting and valuable from this conversation. And I always believe if there's one thing that you can take away, it's it's worth your time. And, you know, I think the last thing I'll say is, again, I, I hope folks are inspired to take action in whatever way that is meaningful to you. You know, I think at whether it's at home or at work, in your job and your role, Every small action matters, right? Every way that you can contribute to to leaving something better than the way we found it uh, matters, because you know at the end of the day, we're we're shared humanity, and you know we sh we share this this home called planet Earth. This is all about that home and the future, um, our kids and our and our grandkids to come. So, thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. If we can help you in any way, please talk with your VMware account team. Alternatively, you can connect with us through LinkedIn, just search for Brian Hayes or Matthew O'Neill at VMware, or you can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Owen. And you can find our show notes at don'tbreakthebankpodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you can join us again next time. Please do take care of yourself.